I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but I know what week it is. It's the week of the Freed Hardeman Lectures, so you can expect snow at least one day this week. No, that's uh, something that over the past, um, since 1975, I've attended every one of the lectures at least one day each year. And I would imagine that probably 95% of those, there was snow in Henderson at least uh, during that week. But I will tell you, many of you say, well, I would love to be able to go. If you want to be able to watch a number of the lectures, you can go to fhu.edu, which is the school's website, and click on the lectureship link. And you'll be able to watch many of those on your computers or on your smartphones and be able to enjoy some of those great lectures Uh, that are to be found there. But for this morning, I'd like to focus your attention back to the book of Colossians. Last Lord's Day morning, we opened our study of the book of Colossians by looking at an introduction to that great book. We looked at the city. We looked at the church. We looked at the circumstances of Paul's writing and then the commencement of that book as we began to open Now I want to focus your attention to begin our lesson with a question again. How do you instill appreciation within a people? How do you get them to appreciate the things that have been done for them by others? Well, I'd suggest to you that what you have to do, you have to tell people, you have to instruct people that there are people who have made great sacrifices in order to establish or appreciate noble principles. I think specifically in our country about a reminder of those heroes who made those sacrifices. I think about the various men and some women who have gone into combat and they have laid their lives down for the very privileges that you and I enjoy. I don't know if you give thanks for those people, but I do. There are many people who have made it possible that you and I could be able to gather here this morning and to be able to worship without fear of any outside force. Were it not for the sacrifices of some of those people, we would not have what we enjoy. The same thing could be said about parents who go through a tremendous amount of sacrifice to be able to provide for their children some wonderful privileges. You think about parents who maybe forego a lot of things they would like to do, like to enjoy, in order to provide their children a college education or things such as that. I think it's valuable to suggest what could have been with what we are right now. You think about where you are and what you enjoy and the sacrifices that people made to allow you this privilege. Now I want you to focus that as a Christian. You think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You think about what he gave up in order for you and I to enjoy what we have now. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians in chapter 2, He talked about Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and being found in the fashion of a man. He humbled himself into obedience 
Yea, even the death of the cross, Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, going through verse 8. You think about the sacrifice of being in the portals of heaven and all that entailed to be able to take that down to sacrifice so that you and I could have the forgiveness of our sins. When Paul wrote the Colossians, I want to go back to that key verse in chapter 1 and verse 27 where he says, and I want you to notice the red part on this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You and I need to realize the value of, of saying that Christ is in us as a congregation, as a people, and what that means for the hope of glory. Well, this morning, I would like for us to concentrate primarily on verses 13 and 14, and then to back up for just a few moments to look at verses 9 through 12. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look, first of all, at a contrast of the kingdoms. There's two kingdoms mentioned in this context. Then I would like for us to look at this conveyance that occurs at conversion. You know, it's important to understand that when I am this in this kingdom and I move into this kingdom, how did that happen? And then number three, a call to live better. Let's begin, first of all, with a contrast of the two kingdoms. And you know that if you read your Bible very often, that there is a contrast between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Darkness is one of sin and oppression. And it's ruled over by Satan, the devil. He wants people to walk in darkness, live in darkness, and to revel in darkness. I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Solomon said that he wrote this Proverbs to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who lead the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. Notice there are people in this world who love, delight to walk in the ways of darkness. That's the devil's kingdom. When I go to John 3 and verse 19, Jesus explains those who want to live there. He says, And this is condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If you are going to examine the kingdom of darkness, not only are you going to see that Satan is the ruler of it, you're going to see these people who are in it doing evil things, but you're going to see that they like it there. They love the kingdom of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 8, going through verse 11, and then going to chapter 6 and verse 12, we read, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then you come to chapter 6 and verse 12, and he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness 
of this age. What Paul is trying to say is we are fighting against a kingdom of darkness that is dominated by evil actions. You have to see it as that. On the other hand, Jesus is the ruler of the kingdom of light. As I explore the scriptures to try to find out what that kingdom is all about, I find in Matthew 16 and verse 28, Jesus talking about the coming of this great kingdom. He said, I say to you that there's some of you standing here who will not taste of death till they shall see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Everything that you and I read in the gospel accounts about the kingdom of Christ is it's something coming, something soon to be here. John the Baptist and Jesus both preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus was saying, it is so soon that some of you won't die before you will see it. Hebrews 1 and verse 8 says, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You see, a a ruler, a king, would have a scepter. It is a symbol of his authority. But when one worships God and is a part of his kingdom, it is a scepter of righteousness, not of evil, not of darkness, not of wickedness. John 18 and verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. See, one of the big contrasts that we have to understand is that you have on one side the kingdom of darkness, which revels in this world and all that it has. But on the other hand, you have the kingdom of Christ, the one of light, one that in the New Testament time was soon to take place and is now here but is not a kingdom of this world. Not a kingdom based in physical things, but in spiritual things. When John wrote his gospel, what a wonderful, powerful message it involved. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus shines as light even into the kingdom of darkness. Or else men would never see how to get out of that darkness. Drop down to verse 7. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into this world. If you will, Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of light, but it is not only a light just for those within that kingdom, but it is light for everyone to see the pathway to right. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of light. 1 John 1, 5 and verse 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I understand that walking in the light, being a part of this kingdom, living as I should in this kingdom, will result in my sins being forgiven on an ongoing basis. Now, having understood the contrast between those two great kingdoms, I need to understand what is going to take place and how I get from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's a one important verse that I want you to think about. Think about the words within it. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His dear Son, or the Son of His love. Notice with me, to begin with, this first emphasis, He's delivered us from the power of darkness. The word deliver is really interesting. You study the background of it, and it carries with it the idea of somebody being rescued. I looked just a few moments ago, before I walked up here in the pulpit at the songbook, Number 551, a song which we sing, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. What a powerful song that is. When you think about being rescued, Paul would say in Romans 7 and verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I need somebody to save me. I need a rescue. Drop down to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. But the Lord who stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Notice, folks, this idea of being delivered. We sometimes don't think about when we get out of the kingdom of darkness, we have been rescued. The second thing I want you to notice about that is the power of darkness. It's control. It's dominion. When you go to Matthew chapter 8 and verse 9, we learn about this word. Here this centurion says, For I also am a man under authority. Or you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. He talks about putting an end to all rule and authority and power. Do you mean to say that sin... The kingdom of darkness has some sort of power, some sort of control over me. You see, too many people in the kingdom of darkness feel like they can quit sin anytime they want to. And these people are bound by, held by the power of sin. Darkness means it's the kingdom of the devil. Listen to 2 Timothy 2:24-26. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant unto them repentance, 
so that they may know the truth. Now listen carefully to verse 26. And that they have come to their senses and escaped the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You see, people who get into the sin and darkness are captivated by it. Jesus, when he talked about being made free, in John 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They responded to Jesus by saying, oh, no, no, we've not ever been in captivity to any man. And Jesus said that a man who commits sin is a slave to sin. He has delivered us from the power of this darkness. Romans 16 and verse 20 says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You need to understand that the kingdom of the devil will be defeated. And that God is willing to deliver us from that dark kingdom, that dark, simple world. But then he says, you have been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's a New King James rendering. If you're looking at the original King James of the American Standard, you will notice that he has translated us. If you're looking at the New American Standard, you'll find transferred us. The word means to be removed from one place to another. The best way I can illustrate it to you in our language is to say that a person goes from one place to another, but you really have this idea of taking him. Like you may go from the airport in Nashville to the airport in Miami, Florida. You've been conveyed, you've been transferred, you've been translated from one to the other. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 4, you remember the unrighteous steward? How that he had done things that his master did not appreciate? He said, I resolve what I will do that when I am put out of the stewardship. The word put out, same word here is conveyed. He's taken out of one and put in somewhere else. He's taken out of being employed to being unemployed. Or it's found in Acts 13 and verse 22. Talking about Saul being king. And it says, and when he had removed him, removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king. Now I have to understand those words. I have been removed from the kingdom of darkness sinfulness, and I have been conveyed and moved into the kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, And I say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are one and the same. Just two different ways to refer to the same group of people. So if I have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and I have been conveyed or translated, transferred into the kingdom of His Son, I've been put into the church. And Acts 2 and verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I am starting to understand now that 
when I move from this kingdom to this kingdom, this conveyance is when I am converted. That's when it takes place. Before I am converted, I'm still in that kingdom of darkness. Once I am converted, the Lord has put me into His body, the church. Now, there are several places that I could prove that point. Romans 6 and verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of you or many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For one, by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. Galatians 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. So I understand there is a conveyance that occurs here. A translation that occurs. It occurs when I am baptized for the remission of my sins. See, that's why we have to teach people, before you are baptized, you're still in the devil's kingdom. You're still in darkness. You need to be baptized to put you into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It happens by choice, by change, and by a call. For instance, in Acts 26 and verse 17, Paul talking about his preaching he says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He says, what you're doing, you're out here preaching to people. What are you trying to do? You're trying to turn their allegiance from that kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Help them to see the truth. You become a Christian by your choice. Nobody makes you do that. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. At conversion, then one receives the redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or remission of sins. In Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You go out and you preach repentance. You preach forgiveness of sins. In Acts 2 and verse 38, he says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, let's go back to verses 9 and 10, and I want to try to summarize this together. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
When you look at that passage for this reason, he's referring back to verses 3 through 8 where Paul describes the conversion of these people. He's seen them translated from one kingdom to another. He knows about it. He prays for them. What is he wanting them to do? He's wanting them to live as children of light. Here's a person who's made the move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Well, what should I be doing then? Romans 13 and verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. If I have made the move, I need to look like I have made the move. People should see light in me. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. In Ephesians 5 and verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live it. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, when Paul wrote the Colossians, he wanted them to understand, you have got to be an influence in the community in which you live. The same thing is true of us. If we're going to take this message with us, what it is saying to us, if you're not a Christian, you ought to become one. It is saying if you are a Christian, you ought to live like one. In 1 John 1, 6 and 7, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We end this lesson with a question. Are you in the kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom of light? If you're not, when we sing this encouragement song in just a minute or two, why not come forward and say, I want to be a New Testament Christian. I want to be in the kingdom of our Lord. I want to walk in the light. Are you walking in darkness or are you walking in light? One of the saddest things that I think most of us who love the Lord see and are grieved at is when we see those who are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ walking in darkness. Walking in a, a way of sin. If that's who you are, we plead with you. We beg you. We don't want you to die lost in your sins. We want you to enjoy the privilege of being a part of the kingdom of light. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?